recently Pacific City Church sent out a postcard and it looks something like this. And it's, it's so beautiful. Um, it's purple on the top and blue on the bottom and everything in between. It says, create beauty, inspire change, live well, and love people. And it's this third one, the idea of live well, that I wanted to discuss with you today. Uh, what is the well-lived life? How does it work? Can the keto diet really bring the deep spiritual satisfaction you're looking for in your life? I don't know. Um, in LA, there's a lot of ways that we think about the well-lived life and a lot of ways we think that we can pursue it and achieve it. And I think it's a, it's a paradox because LA is amazing. There's so many cool things that we do, that we can do, that, uh, that, can, that can achieve the well-lived life, but it's also a very stressful place. Uh, it's a little bit of both. It's a paradox. I think about beauty. We look to beauty in the well-lived life. Uh, just here on Montana Avenue, how many stores or shops have something to do with the beauty industry? Um, I, I don't know. Does anyone actually know? <laughs> I didn't look it up. But it's a lot. It's a lot. You can, I can have my fat freeze. I can get a few shots in the face. I can get my, a blowout if I want to. But no one wants me. To, it doesn't matter. I don't need a blowout. You can do that. And also, um, if you think about it this way, uh, the... the the, the beauty industry in America, the beauty and cosmetics in, industry is an $84 billion a year industry. We care about what we look. We care about how we present ourselves. Um, I think about the food that we eat. Some of us pursue the well-lived life by the food that we eat. Uh, LA has some amazing restaurants. There's actually this one restaurant. It's in downtown Los Angeles, actually in Chinatown. It's called Howlin' Rays. Has anyone ever heard of it or seen it? Yeah? Okay, just my wife and I have been there. Anyway, um, it's the new darling of L.A., and uh, before the passing of Jonathan Gold, it was in, it made his list, and it was amazing, but it is hot chicken from Nashville. It's a special kind of hot chicken, but what's unique about this place is that there's a, the guy that runs it, he's a chef from the, he used to work for the French Laundry, so he used to work for Thomas Keller, which is pretty amazing that a guy would leave that and go make uh, hot chicken, but it is so good. It is unbelievable. It's some of the best food you ever had? So we think about food. There's so, think of all your favorite restaurants. There's amazing restaurants. Uh, but it's also like a little bit stressful. LA with food, it's like eat this, don't eat that. There's a lot of pressure around that. There's actually a magazine. You can find it in your local Erewhon while you're buying a $20 gallon of almond milk. And it's, <laughs> there's a magazine called Eat This, Not That. And it is set up to help you what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. There's a lot of rules around that. We look to our own parenting for the well-lived life. Um, I can't tell you enough how much posturing there is about what little Johnny or little Sarah, I don't know, I just pick names, but like what they're going to do with their lives, how they're, what they're going to eat and how they're going to study, um, and even some of their extracurriculars. Um, and so let me be clear. I don't, I'm not kind of judging, like, should we eat healthy food? Yes. Should we care about what our kids do with their extracurriculars? Yes. Am I having some weird tirade against the beauty industry? No, absolutely not. I'm just saying that everyone has an opinion about what you should do and what you should say and what you should not say when it comes to the good life. There's television pundits. There's social media marketers. There's social media influencers. There's Everyone and anyone that is weighing in on what you should, boyfriends and girlfriends and parents, etc. And in Christianity, we see that Jesus actually offers 
a different way of thinking about the good life. There's lots of different ways to pursue it out there, but Jesus offers a very distinct way. And he's not anti-culture always. And sometimes he disagrees and challenges the culture. Sometimes he affirms the culture. But what we find in the way of Jesus is that he offers a third way and he offers a real foundation for the well-lived life. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. Will you join me in prayer? And then we will take a look at a few verses from the Bible. Will you pray with me? Uh, God, we invite your presence here right now. God, I ask that you would help me to speak as I should. And God, we thank you uh, for what you're doing in our community and in the lives of people. And so I ask, God, that you would be here with us, that you would, uh, you would speak to us. And God, I ask for the people that have come in today looking for a fresh word from you. I ask that you would give that to them, that they would experience you and know that you are here. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to be taking a look at uh, a few verses from the book of John, chapter 3. And uh, before I do that, I just want to give you a background on what's happening here. Jesus, we're going to talk about Jesus today. And Jesus has walked into certain towns and everything changes when he walks in. He walks in, he lines up all the sick, and he heals every sick person. You've been, you've been not able to walk, you've been in a wheelchair your whole life, healed. You've been blind since birth, healed. Now you can see. You are a, you've had some strange internal disorder where you've been bleeding for 12 years, healed. Uh, he, people were demon-possessed and everything, and like he would, like, he would heal them and take away their demon possession. So he was walking in and taking care of everything that needed to be done, and he was talking about God, he was talking about the kingdom of God, and everyone was rallying and getting really excited being around him. And he was like creating these huge crowds, and people were impressed. So everywhere he went, he had a crowd. He was the man. This was something extraordinary happening that no one had ever seen before. And he's doing it. And he's doing it. And he's just a normal looking guy walking into towns and doing this. And so if that's the backdrop, here's the story. We'll read in John chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was the member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. I'll just pause right there. I have three initial observations I want to talk to you about with Nicodemus. First, we see that Nicodemus is a successful Pharisee. Well, what is a Pharisee? These are the law-abiding people. These are the good guys that did everything right and everyone admired because they were good people. They followed the rules. They cared about their families. They were generous with the poor. So we see that this guy, who's a very religious guy, goes to Jesus and says a few things. And he's, he recognizes essentially that his religion isn't enough. Jesus, I do everything right. I'm a Pharisee. I'm respected in the community. But you have something I don't have. And then the third thing is Nicodemus sees something that Jesus has and he wants it. He's like, how can I have this? How can I experience what you're experiencing? So Jesus, being who he is, responds like this. He says, what well, says in verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, 
No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. What is he talking about here? Well, first of all, he uses this really loaded term, the term born again. I'm sure you've all heard it. And born again is a very loaded term in our day and age. Who are born again Christians anyway? Well, it's common nowadays to think that born again Christians, they're the kind of people that are extraordinarily broken. Maybe they're extra addicted to drugs or alcohol, or maybe they're so emotionally unstable that they just need some sort of like huge, dramatic turnaround to get on the right path. And maybe we imagine they've done something that's so bad, so reprehensible, like they just need some sort of seismic change to come into their life so that they can be better people. Well, this is all good and everything, but um, the problem with this view is that the biblical story that we just read doesn't allow for this. You see, Nicodemus, he's a civic leader. He's trusted. People want to be around him. And it also says that he's like a member of the Sanhedrin and, a, and the assembly of the, high, uh, the Hebrew high court of judges, which means he's a just person. He is caring for the poor and the widow and the orphan. He's probably never done anything really significantly wrong. In order to be a Pharisee, you had to be a pretty good guy. And so Jesus kind of challenges this. And moreover, like, you couldn't have been more religious than Nicodemus. Um, the fact that he calls him a rabbi, which means teacher, that's a sign of respect. And so not only is he a good guy, he's coming to Jesus and saying, rabbi, which means that I'm more open-minded than my peers. So what do you do with that? You have this admirable person. He's pulled together. He's successful. He's disciplined. He's moral. He's religious, yet open-minded. But Jesus with this great guy, he says, there's still a problem. Immediately, Jesus challenges the thing that is most important in Nicodemus, his entitlement. Jesus challenges Nicodemus' entitlement. Jesus challenges the entitlement mentality. You see, Nicodemus thought he was morally superior to everybody else because he was born into a family that made him a religious insider. Therefore, he thinks he's entitled to the good life. And Jesus is, a, is pressing Nicodemus on his smug self-satisfaction. He's saying, Nicodemus, what did you have to do with being born? Did you have, like, was that a really exciting process that you contributed to? Where, like, you came out of your mother's womb and you're, like, helping her out? No, you didn't do anything. You didn't help. It was just a free gift of life. You had nothing to do with it. It's a free gift. So we also see that Jesus challenges the understanding of sin. When it comes to sin, oftentimes we think sin just means rule-breaking. We break the rules, which is true. But Jesus is not really giving us this definition here because Nicodemus is pretty much a good guy. He does everything right. Jesus is trying to show Nicodemus that he is just as sinful as everyone else and his sin doesn't become, come because he is like a bad guy. It becomes because he has a misunderstanding of his goodness. 
The issue with Nicodemus is much deeper. And Jesus is saying that just because you're religious, Nicodemus, doesn't mean you're close to God. And just because you're religious doesn't mean you don't have problems too. Nicodemus, the power that you seek, the things that you see happening in my ministry, the things you want to have happen in your own family, the things you want to have happen in your community, that's all good. Your intentions are great. But those things don't come from you being a good guy. They come from some other place. And so, Nicodemus, no moral efforts will ever be good enough for you. Your heritage, how you were born, doesn't actually matter. You have to be born again. And just as it was true then, it is true now. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you're close to God. I think about it this way. Imagine like a box. And whoever's in the box is, a, is like a good person. Uh, and then whoever's out of the box is a bad person. And sometimes we understand Christianity of who's in and who's out. Are they a Christian? Well, did they pray the prayer? Well, how did they pray? Did they pray it in a way that's felt? And were they baptized in the whole thing? And they're like, well, I don't know. They're kind of on the fence. We walk around as Christians judging people around some reductionist soteriological view of like how, like what it means to be a Jesus follower or mean to be a Christian. We say some people are in, some people are out. And that is actually a very difficult way to understand who a follower of Jesus is. Why? Because you can believe all the right things. I believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and he lived a perfect life and died on the cross for my sins. And uh, he's coming back to rule and reign and it's going to be great. We're all going to go to heaven. Well, there will be um, lots of food or whatever you think about God and heaven. You can believe all the right things. You can behave in all the right ways. You can not smoke or chew or go with boys who do. You can do everything right. <laughs> That's the one that works. That's the joke. <laughs> You'll find with me that I sometimes script jokes and sometimes I don't. And the ones I've been scripting haven't been working. Anyway, <laughs> I'm so sad. But I'm happy to be with you today. So anyway, so you can believe it all right. Let's get to behave. You could behave. You could not smoke or chew or go with girl, a boys or two or girls. I don't know a lot of girls who chew. But anyway, um, you, could, like, you could avoid all the bad behaviors. Oh, I don't sleep around. I don't do this. I don't cut people off in traffic. And if I do and I flip them off, it's just like below the window so they don't see it and it's just between me and god and i'll confess later okay so you behave in all the right ways you avoid the major sins the top 10 uh, the 10 commandment ones top 10 top 10 sins you're not coveting your neighbor's wife or anything and um you it, we also define who's in by how you serve well i give 10 percent or above my income to charity i show up early and i set things up i tear things down if i see uh, a bird scooter that's laying down i pick it up and set it up <laughs> Uh, you know, because I'm a good, I'm that, I'm that kind of a Christian. I'm, I'm, a real, I'm really nice with bird scooters. Um, but what's the problem with that? By defining who's in and who's out by how we behave and how we believe and how we serve. Well, the fact is, you can believe all the right things, you can behave in all the right ways, and you can serve your little heart out. But you, your heart, your heart could still be far away from God. And we see this all the time. We call it, here at this church, we call it emotional maturity, where our spiritual maturity has to keep up with our emotional maturity. We know a lot of people, and maybe it's ourselves, where we know a lot about God, we know a lot about what it means to serve Him, but we're terrible people to be around. And there's this pride and there's this arrogance that comes with this. And I think, you know, if you read between the lines with Jesus and 
this Pharisee Nicodemus, I think that's what's going on here. I think he's like, hey, you, you have it all figured out. You are in the center of the box, the right box. But when I'm working with you, when I'm talking with you, Nicodemus, your heart's so far from God. It's distant. There's not a warmth there. It doesn't feel real. It feels like a bunch of rules. Well, there's that view. So the religious side. But I also think that there's this idea of an anti-Pharisee. Does anyone, I mean, maybe you understand what I mean. So like if you're a Pharisee, uh, you're like follow the rules. If you're an anti-Pharisee, you don't follow any of the rules. And you look at Pharisees and you judge them. You say, hey, you look like you do all the right things, but you're so judgy and judgmental. And uh, my friends and I, we're not judgy and we don't think that way. We're more open-minded than you. Well, I think the problem with that view is that when you're an anti-Pharisee, you could actually be a Pharisee too. You're just doing it around different beliefs and you're being just as prideful. You're just doing it in a different way. So I like to call that an anti-Pharisee Pharisee. You might have a Pharisee who follows all the rules, but you can actually be an anti-Pharisee Pharisee. Um, and I think that's quite possible, like where you're reactionary. You're so different and out of the box from everyone else, but you're just as judgy as the next person. And Jesus says both are wrong. And I think that's part of the issue here that we see in Los Angeles. We don't have a lot of, we do have a lot of Pharisee types, right? But we do have a lot of anti-Pharisee Pharisee types. They're just, they're just different. And so here's the point. Jesus is being very clear that our good behavior, our hard work, Whatever family we come from, even if we're successful in every aspect of our life, or even if we define our success in a different way than traditional success, all those things don't add up. They're not enough to break the power of sin. And Jesus' confrontation of Nicodemus, it's actually a hard pill to swallow. And here's why. Because Jesus leaves no other options left. And here's what we come to. Jesus must do something in us that we cannot do for ourselves. And Jesus holds the foundation of the well-lived life. Well, what do I mean? Well, friends, this idea that Jesus has to do something in us that we can't do for ourselves, this is the essence of the gospel. And the gospel means good news. And I got to take a second just to explain this. The good news, good news means something extraordinarily different than advice. When we talk about advice, advice is something that we uh, listen to and do. And then news is something completely different. News is something that, we believe it or not, it's happened. It's, it's happened. So, hey, you know, like you can't like advice news. It's something that's real that happened in the past. And when we talk about the gospel being good news, we're talking about the fact that Jesus has done something in history that has changed everything. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins and he showed that he was victorious over sin and death by coming back from the dead. And so let me define for you what being born again actually means. Being born again actually means that we are changed from the inside out. To the best of my understanding, being born again means that God does something in us spiritually that we couldn't do for ourselves he supernaturally initiates the thing that we couldn't do, that we were incapable of doing, even on all of our efforts, whether they're 
self-discovery efforts or moral conformity efforts. It doesn't matter. He is doing something new in us. And here's how it works. You actually, become, you actually change from the inside out. Your spirit and your mind and your heart actually become aware of his spirit, his power, his presence. It becomes the foundation of the well-lived life. He actually changes our hearts. So he moves us. All of a sudden, I, I don't know, he moves us from like being like completely consumed with how we spend our money to being generous people. He changes the way we relate to our neighbors instead of being very cautious and distant. He empowers us and puts a love in our heart. And we say, because we've been loved by Christ, we can love and care for our neighbors, the ones we actually like and the difficult ones. We can love them both. He changes how we work. And we actually, and I think this is the big one, we actually get to do some of the things that Jesus did. When we pray for the sick, we expect them to get healed. When we pray for people, we expect God to do something in them, to change them, to transform them from something that isn't working in their life to something that is working in their life. It goes on. The endless, the endless thing. We, we, we can learn to love difficult people. We can learn to love our family in a way that our family needs. So let me ask you a personal question. Have you experienced the power of God in your life? And God doesn't force himself on anybody. He will not bully his way into your life. And when we talk about being born again, you're simply inviting him to do the thing that you can't do for yourself. And you say, Jesus, I welcome you in. I want you to do something. I want to know that you're with me. I want you to guide me in my decisions. I want you to help me with my finances. I want you to like, come in and just change the way I view the world. And this, according to Jesus, this is the foundation for the well-lived life, that everything flows out of our connection to God. And it isn't meant to be some distant doctrinal thing where we believe all the right things and check all the boxes, but it's meant to be something that's real, that's lived out in our day-to-day life with the Spirit of God who lives among us because Jesus was raised from the dead. Amen? Amen. Um, yeah, I want to tell you a story. Um, so I grew up in a fairly Christian family. And for those of you who were here last week, you got to hear part of my story. But there was this time in high school and college where, like, I stopped. I was just figuring out what I was doing with God. And I just remember, like, going to college and doing my own thing and the fraternity that I joined wasn't super helpful in helping me discover God. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, just kind of going my own way. I won't bore you with the details. But um, at the end of my freshman year, um, I just felt like I had, I needed, I needed God. And I, I like, I would say things like, I believe in, I believe in Jesus as my Savior, and I would say things, but I'm not sure if I believe he's my Lord. And I don't know if you know what that means. But like, basically, it's like this idea that God can save me, but I like distance myself from listening to how he thinks about my life. And so, um, but my friend Jose and I, uh, we were like, dude, we should start going to this church or a ministry. I think we both need, and we independently felt like we needed to do something to challenge what was going on in us, because we felt like this level of depression and the life we were living, it just didn't taste good. Like we were consuming everything we wanted, living life exactly how we wanted to live it, and it just wasn't working for us. And so my friend Jose and I, we would go to this thing called FCA, which is uh, 
which is, they call it FCA because I think they're embarrassed of what the full name is, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes would meet on Tuesday nights, and we would go, and we weren't athletes, but they let us in anyway. Um, I was, uh, I mean, I played a lot of intramurals. Uh, <laughs> I was an intramural, I was the captain of my intramural um, uh, ultimate Frisbee team. Uh, uh, the name of our team was General So's and the Low Main Crew. And uh, I don't know, I was younger, much younger. And uh, so we would go, and we would listen, and then as soon as it ended, we were like, we would get out of there because Christians are weird. And they were super weird, too. They were like, they would all be, like, join us for fellowship in the lobby. And you go, and they were like, they're super weird. And then we would like sit there with like a cup of like uh, approved non-alcoholic juice, and you'd be like, this is weird, and we would bolt. And we did this for like a number of weeks, but there was something going on that kept drawing us back. And... Uh, at that point, uh, we were smoking, uh, men- we used to smoke menthols back then. I don't know. It's just another frat thing. I don't know, a frat thing. And then we would smoke, and, oh, and be like, man, I don't know why we're going back. Why? We feel like we're keeping lit. Okay, well, we're there. We got to put our cigarette. You put out your cigarette. You go in, listen. The Christians were weird afterwards, and then we would leave. You're like, you guys are weird. And so what we were trying to do is take everything we could from, like, the lesson, and, like, we would, and then we would leave the Christians behind because they were weird. But I remember it was through those weekly things that God got a hold of me. And there was this po- moment I came to a uh, surrender, um, and it wasn't like over like one night, but it was like over the course of a month, where I just felt like I cannot, I can no longer resist the love and the compassion of God. God is calling me out of my life and my independence, and he wants to give me something more than I have. And I remember saying, God, all right, let's do this. And when I did that, I immediately sensed his love and his affection and his presence, and it changed me. I felt, I didn't feel like judged. I didn't feel like, well, it's about time, Chris. I felt like he was like, welcome home. And he welcomed me in. And I got to tell you, that was like 18, 19, 20 years ago. I've never looked back. The power and the presence of God came into my life and did something that I hadn't experienced before as a child, and it changed me forever. And that's what you're invited into as well. Now, I know some of you are here because you're culturally Christian. That's awesome. Thanks for being culturally Christian. And that's wonderful. And maybe you have had this experience where you are walking with Jesus and you are experiencing him. That is amazing. And for those of you that haven't experienced what I'm talking about, you're missing out because the theology of Christianity is boring without some level of power that comes from him entering into your life. And if you ask him, I guarantee you, he will give you his spirit. He will give you a sense that he is guiding you. And you're not gonna, you might not fall over the floor or come up here and flop like a fish out of water. That's not what we're talking about here. This is not some Pentecostal whatever. This is just a sense that God is real and powerful and wants to do something in you. That's all I had to share with you. Will you stand with me?